Hey friends, Isaac here. It's Tuesday, April 26th. Welcome to the Living the Dream Show with Kevin White. Kevin is a best-selling author, international speaker, and global brand publisher. He's the founder and executive director of Global Hope India and the CEO of Spirit Media. As a serial entrepreneur, Kevin has helped start hundreds of churches, businesses, and nonprofits throughout the world. Put your hands together and let's welcome my friend and yours, Kevin White, to today's show. Hello, welcome to Living the Dream. I am Pastor Kevin White, and I am so excited for today's episode. It is April the 26th, 2022, and I welcome you. If you're watching on YouTube, I'm actually waving at you right now. I'd love to give you a fist pump, a high five. Actually, I'd love to hug you if we could get in the same room together. But fortunately, we have 166 different countries listening into the show, and I'm so excited to have you either watching on YouTube or listening wherever podcasts can be heard. As you know, here on the Live in the Dream show, we champion Revelation 7, 9 through 12 of the vision where every tribe and nation and tongue are worshiping in heaven. And it is our constant prayer that it would be on earth as it is in heaven. I'm not going to wait until I get to heaven to be comfortable with other nationalities, with other passport holders, with people with different heritage than my heritage. And I hope that you're not either. We have a young man named Aaron Nelson that is going to be uh, given a message today. It's the three characteristics of love. And as you know, we champion love constantly on the show because that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our message. The Bible makes it very clear that we love because he first loved. People don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. And we want to love people with different passports than ours, different heritages than ours. And so we've got to find this capacity and this unconditional love from its root source. And that is Almighty God, our creator. He has created us white and brown and black and yellow and red and all different hair colors and skin colors and eye colors and dialects and languages and heritages around the world. And so I want you to just sit on the edge of your seat as Aaron speaks to us on these three characteristics of love uh, out of God's word. He will be sharing how love is a response, how we let your love prove who you are, uh, how Christians are to love unconditionally, how God loves us. This is part one of two, and so I hope you'll be back next week for part two. But let's listen to Aaron Nelson. I'm so very impressed with this young man uh, and his ability to communicate the Word of God, and I hope you will be as well. But more importantly, listen to the voice of God as our Heavenly Father speaks to us, and let's not just be hearers of the word, but let's be doers of the word as we take on this unconditional love and go share it with our community. Let's listen to Aaron now. How are we doing, everybody? 
Good, good. Super glad to hear that. Hey, we are uh, this week wrapping up a series that we've been in uh, for about the past month or so that is called Counterculture. And what we've been doing is we've been taking a look through the book of 1 Peter, and we're looking at the way that Peter is commanding us, the church, the way he's teaching us as the church to respond counterculture uh, around the topic of a couple of different things, a couple of different ideas. Uh, We've talked about things such as holiness and hope and how we respond to persecution and submission. Uh, and what makes us counterculture in the way that we do all of these things as the church uh, is one, we respond to these things in a way that the world says, uh, I don't really know if that makes sense. Or we respond to those things in a way that people wouldn't expect us to respond to those things. And so as we get ready to wrap up this series and as we get ready to head into Easter Sunday, I think we're wrapping up on a pretty uh, appropriate note as we talk about a counterculture type of love. And so we're going to be looking at 1 Peter today. We're going to be moving through uh, the book of 1 Peter. We're actually going to be looking at a lot of the Bible today. That's the reason why I have my iPad up here with me. Uh, something that I've had people comment on before is, why do you have your Bible if you're just going to read off an iPad the whole time? Because um, we have a lot of scripture and my hands aren't that fast. I can't flip through back and forth a lot. And this is kind of here in case like stuff breaks out and we need to like, you know, address some other things. Uh, and then I also have paper notes here in case my iPad dies. So that's just covering, uh, covering all the bases. Um, as we talk about this idea of love, uh, counterculture love in specific, uh, love is a funny concept, is it not? Like, especially in our culture. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was looking at my wife's Instagram page, and her bio says it has heart emoji, Jesus, tacos, and Aaron. And I was upset for a couple of reasons. <laughs> uh, one, how do you fit tacos in the same category as me and Jesus? And two, why am I in third place? Like, that doesn't seem like the right list of priorities, right? And so we can make fun of her, which I often do when I get on stage, but if we turn a mirror on ourselves, and if we think about the way that we relate to love, the same thing happens quite often, doesn't it? I mean, if I was to poll people in the room and say, hey, are you generally a loving sort of person? Most of us go, oh, Aaron, I I love everybody. I love everything. I love love. I love the smell of fresh cut grass. Like I'm just a loving somebody, but... If we were to take that and we were to ask a few more specific questions, then the answers, they start to get a little more nuanced, right? If I ask you, hey, would you consider yourself a loving person? You'd probably say, yeah, of course, I'm I'm a loving person. I love everything. I love everybody. Okay, well, well, what about those loosey-goosey Democrats and those tight-wound Republicans? Well, I don't hate them. I mean, I wouldn't say I hate them. That seems a little bit extreme, right? Okay, well, well, what about that family member who you haven't talked to in a couple of years. Oh, well, you know, she's just, she knows if she really needs me, she can call me. Now, I'm not gonna call her because that's an admission of guilt. I learned that. But what I'm, if, if she ever needs anything, she knows she can pick up the call if she'll admit she's wrong and, and I'll answer. Sometimes for us, it's, it's, it's a little bit closer to that. Okay, let's not talk about family, right? Let's talk about friends for a second. What about that friend that stabbed you in the back? Do you love them? Oh, Aaron. How could I ever love them after what they did to me? How could I ever forgive them after what they did to me? Do you hate them? Ah, that seems a little bit tough. Okay, what about when you were in traffic the other day and you were stuck at that red light and the moment that it turned green, the guy behind you honked on you. are like, oh no, I hate that guy. Like I do not like him at all, right? Listen, we would never, as good Southern folk, good Christian people, we would never say we hate people because in the South, that's about as close to a curse word as you can get, right? We might say, bless your heart. We won't say we hate you. But speaking of the heart, 
The thing that scripture makes so clear time after time after time is that the idea of love and hate, it has nothing to do with the words that come out of your mouth. It's actually about the condition of your heart. See, many of us, we would never say, oh, I hate this thing or I don't love that person. But we resolve it in our hearts all the time, right? It's just kind of a natural thing that we do. And so here's the, here's the issue with us as the church, right? Uh, we need to recognize that love for us, the way it's painted in scripture, it's a non-negotiable. And it's a non-negotiable for two real clear reasons. The first one is that the Bible is clear that love is our response to what God has done for us. Right, so First uh, Peter chapter one verse twenty-two. Uh, Peter he has this short verse that you just kind of find in the middle of the first chapter, and it it packs so much weight. Let's read it together. It says, "You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply." with all your heart, okay? This is, this is a short verse, but it is packed with truth. The first is that we are saved when we believe, okay? That is, that is important to know. If you are here, uh, if you're watching online, maybe this is the first time you've heard it, but maybe you're showing up to Christianity and you're saying, hey, what do I have to do to like be in the club? Like how much do I have to perform? How much community service do I have to give? How many Bible passages do I need to remember? Listen, it's not that. This verse tells us it's when you believe that faith comes alive in your life. That is when your sins are forgiven. That is when, when you have uh, embraced the love that Jesus has for us. But then Peter brings it a little bit further and he says, now as a result of that, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Which means everyone who is in the community of faith, listen, listen to me because I think this is, this is huge. I truly think this will change the way that you view church, uh, community, your small group, like all this stuff. You ready for me? Peter is saying here, that the way, the primary way that you relate to those who have also put their faith in Jesus is as a brother or a sister in Christ. That is the primary way. So, so we're no longer coworker and boss or babysitter or classmate or any of those. Like, yes, those things may be true. Those might be peripherals. But the truth is the thing that binds us together is that we are brother and sister in Christ. So no matter how many differences we have, we align on the most important thing. And because of that, I'm called to love you as family. And that type of love that Peter calls us to, it's a deep love. It's deep rooted. It, it, it goes past the boundaries. We are to love one another deeply. This verse, 1 Peter 1.22, it's the gospel in a verse. And so many times when we think about the gospel, we think, oh, Jesus, uh, he came down to earth, he died, he went in the tomb, he came up, he resurrected, that's the gospel. But I would actually argue with you that the way that we love one another in the community of faith is a part of the gospel message. Let me tell you why I believe that, because Jesus himself, uh, in John chapter 14, verse 35, uh, he says something that's astounding. He's hanging out with his, his disciples at the Last Supper. And uh, this is actually right before he tells Peter that he's going to deny him three times on his way to the cross. Uh, but Jesus says something that's, that's huge. He says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Jesus is about to go to the cross and eat its lunch and rise back from the dead. And Jesus says, for some people, that won't be enough. It's the way that you love one another that will prove to the world 
that I really am who I say I am and that you truly follow me. I think Jesus understands, listen, there's some people whose theology isn't going to line up the right way. There are some people who you can proclaim to and you say, hey, listen, Jesus loves you. He died for your sins. He wants to welcome you into the family. Okay, that's fine. But when they show up to the family, what are they going to get? Are they going to experience that same type of love? Are they going to experience everything that we talk about in community with one another? Are they going to get to experience a type of love in the church that can't be found anywhere else? What's fascinating is that uh, the Bible, it actually talks shockingly little um, about how we as Christians are called to love those outside of the church. Like it's there, don't get me wrong. Uh, But it spends so much more time uh, talking about how we as Christians, as we in the community of faith, how we should love one another. And I find that super interesting. So we're going to talk about that a little bit later on. But before I do, uh, I just want to make a couple of clarifying statements. You're going to hear me use the word church a lot today. And I want to clarify what I mean by that. The first is that the church, it's people, it's not a program. Uh, So if I were to walk up to you or if a stranger were to walk up to you out in public and say, hey, do you go to church? You say, yeah, I go to church. And they say, well, where do you go to church? You'd say, I go to Hope. And if they were to ask you, what do you think about Hope? You say, oh, I love my church. And typically what people mean when they say that is, uh, I love the preaching or um, I love the convenience because it's like conveniently located around my house or uh, I love the music, especially because it's loud enough that when I drop my kids off at Kid City, I can't hear them scream. Like all those things together, that's my church experience. That's what I like. But if I were to ask you, hey, do you love Steve? You'd be like, who is Steve? Steve's the guy at your church. As a matter of fact, Steve is the church, right? So when we talk about loving the church, we're not talking about loving buildings or programs or uh, events. We're talking about loving people. The second part of this is that the church, those people that we're talking about, it's a collection that is multi-generational, multi-ethnic, and multi-denominational. Like all of those things are wrapped up. And that is a part of the beauty of the community that we find ourselves in. The beauty is, is that we don't all look the same. And there may be some issues where we don't even think the same. We aren't all in the same age or stage of life, but somehow we can still get along. That is the gospel coming to life. The problem is, is that these attributes that are supposed to make us so beautiful are actually the things that we draw the hardest lines with. And before we realize it, we we end up with millennials against the boomers. And we end up with Baptists against the Pentecostals. And we end up with the American church versus the immigrants. And then it just becomes a bunch of warring back and forth. And now there's nothing countercultural about that at all, is it? That seems to be just in lockstep with the way that the rest of culture and society runs. But Peter is actually trying to let us know that things are supposed to be different. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a look uh, at the letter of 1 Peter, but we're also going to take a look at the life of 1 Peter because I think they both hold hands really, really well together. Uh, And we're going to explore three different attributes of what a counterculture type of love looks like. And the first one is this, it's unconditional. Unconditional. You know, uh, Peter, when, when this book, um, when the letter was written, it was written in Greek, and the word for love that he uses, uh, it's also, it, it's always attached to an adjective. And we lose that in, in the English language, but in Greek, uh, the adjectives that he always pairs it off with, it's one of the two. It's either brotherly love, meaning he's emphasizing that idea of family, or it's a, a, an unconditional type of love. And every time he talks about the way that we relate to one another, that's how he does it. He says that the love that we have for one another should love in spite of offenses. 
We should all love in spite of offenses. And so when you hear that, I want you to recognize that this idea is immediately counterculture. I'm going to say something that's going to, it's going to, it's going to pack a lot of weight, but I want you to hear what I'm saying, and I, and I mean it 100%. When we look at the way that culture treats people right now, um, I think it is completely a tool of Satan to drive a wedge in our societies. And I say that because if you were here for week one or if you listened to week one of this series, Chase, he talked about three ways that Satan uses to attack us. And two of those three ways were indoctrination and isolation. And if those two words don't describe cancel culture, I don't know what does. Cancel culture is built on the idea of indoctrination of saying, hey, you messed up one time, you are that mistake. You'll never bounce back from it. You'll never be anything better than you are. You messed up, so we're done with you, buddy. (laughs) And then that always leads to isolation. And in our culture, what that looks like is, oh, well, we're going to push you to the margins. We don't want to read your books. We don't want to see your movies. You can't be the head coach of that football team. We're not going to listen to a podcast if your name's on it. Like, we are done with you. And that is the exact opposite of what Jesus came to die for. It's in those moments when culture says, hey, you're done, that the church door should fling open and say, welcome home. That's when we bring people in. You know why? Not because we sweep sin under the rug, not because sin doesn't have consequences, but it's because we've all sinned and we've experienced the love of a savior who doesn't cancel us. So what if we were a church where the people that you look at to your left and to your right were the type of people who were still a little bit messed up? What would that look like? What if when you got on the elevator in the lobby, you had to clutch your purse a little bit because Tony still has a history? hey, that's okay. Tony can still come back. (laughs) I want to know, hey, I'm probably going to lock my doors before I go into the building because not everybody's been here as long as I have. (laughs) And that's okay. That's a type of grace that is poured out. It's an unconditional sort of love. And and if I'm honest, um, I don't know if I've ever experienced unconditional love from a person. Uh, And the reason why I say that, I I don't think that there's like no one, like I'm sure my wife would say, oh, I love you no matter what. The thing is, is I haven't tested all the conditions yet. So until I'm in the grave, we're not going to really know (laughs) if it's an unconditional sort of love. But I do know I've experienced this from God. I do know I've experienced this from God. I was, uh, I was living in California a few years ago and, uh, and I was, um, I had stopped at a coffee shop and I was, uh, I was just doing like my Devo time, spending some time in my word. And, uh, and, and I go, and it was one of those days where you just felt dry. Like, like hey, I'm, I'm going to try to read the Bible, but I don't really know if I'm going to get anything out of it today. Um, and the reason why is because there was some sort of sin issue that I was dealing with in my life. And, and I can't remember what it was. I sin a lot, so it could have been anything. Um, but then I came across a chapter from a guy who also sinned a lot. His name was David. And David's actually singing praises in response to the fact that we worship a God who doesn't cancel us when we sin. And it's Psalm 103. Uh, I'm going to pick up in verse 10, but listen to the way, listen to the way that, that Peter, or I'm sorry, that David describes the love of God. He says, the Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us, listen to this, as we deserve. For him, I'm sorry, for his 
unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above. Y'all, this is so good. Can we get excited about the thing we came here to celebrate? Like this, this is the God that we worship. He has removed our sin. Now, listen, hey, I love you. You don't have to clap because I asked you to clap. I want you to mean it. Like, I really want you to celebrate the fact that the Lord is like a father to his children. He's tender and compassionate to those who fear him for he knows, check this part out, he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. And I want to ask you, when someone offends you, do you remember that they're only dust? (laughs) That they're just human like we are? Do you remember that, that they are weak just like you are? That there is a grace that you have experienced from a God who refuses to cancel you. And now you're called to extend that grace to other people. I remember uh, I was at the gym and um, this was like a long time ago. So don't think any, I'm not flexing on you. I can't flex on you because I haven't been in the gym in a long time. But uh, I was at the gym and uh, there was this guy who was there and he was, uh, he was, really overweight. Um, and he was on the treadmill. And I remember seeing this guy and thinking, we might need to get him some help. <laughs> like he looks like he's not going to make it. And that was a genuine concern that I, like he's wheezing and, you know, po- sweating buckets. And there were these high school kids that were there and they were making fun of this guy. And I thought, that is the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. This guy knows that he has health issues. He knows that he has to get in shape. He's here trying to get better and you're going to make fun of him? We don't see people in hospital beds pointing fingers and laughing at everybody else who's sick. So when it comes to the church, we need to put on that same mindset. Hey, listen, we're all just patients in a hospital trying to get better. We're here to see the good doctor. I'm not going to give you a hard time in that. I want to show you the type of grace and the love that's been shown to me. And then when we experience that in community, man, we are putting a picture on the face of Jesus. So the first way that Peter calls us to love one another is just like it's drenched in grace from head to toe. It's it's unconditional. And there you have it. What an incredible message this is. This is only part one of two. So I invite you back next week on the Live in the Dream show for part two of Three Characteristics of Love by Aaron Nelson. God bless you all. We'll see you next week. There are 3 billion people alive today who still have limited to no access to know about Jesus. Most live in the 1040 window. This is the rectangular area 10 degrees north and 40 degrees north latitude, extending from North Africa through India, the Middle East, and Asia. For over 20 years, Global Hope India has been empowering local churches throughout India to provide access to Jesus. You can make a difference now at globalhopeindia.org. Thank you for listening to the Living the Dream Show with Kevin White. Visit kevinwhite.us and join thousands of subscribers to Kevin's free daily one-minute motivation series called Generously Blessed. Generously Blessed. Kevin's books, Audacious Generosity and Get to the Point, are available in hardback, paperback, ebook, and audiobook at kevinwhite.us, worldwide on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and everywhere books are sold. Your five-star review on Amazon will be greatly appreciated. This has been Living the Dream with Kevin White. Find the complete archive of all episodes at kevinwhite.us or subscribe for free through your favorite podcast player. And never miss an episode.
This program is copyright Kevin White International Incorporated. All rights reserved. Each week, we bring you a message of living the dream as people of every nation, tribe and tongue worship Jesus together on earth today as it already is in heaven. Remembering the gift of God's presence through Jesus Christ is accessible to everyone. Join us again next week for Living the Dream with Kevin White. Living the Dream with Kevin White.